0: Oh come on! It's a beautiful day outside, and I see a lot of faces out there. So let's try that again. Good morning, Amplify. Good morning. All right, all right. Well, hey, I'm I as Pastor Phillips said, I'm Justin. Uh, I pastor down at Crystal Coast Church of the Nazarene uh, in Moorhead City, and uh, I, I love the Lord. I love having opportunities to share uh, the good news of the gospel, uh, and so it's exciting to be able to come together with you today uh, and share with you as we as we continue this series that you guys have been in. Um, looking at the home run life. Uh, if you remember, uh, over just a kind of a quick recap over the last couple weeks, if you have been here or if you haven't been here, I just kind of want to follow up and kind of remind you where we're at in the series and what this is all about. Uh, first, the, the premise of the series is that there's two ways to live life, right? There is the world's way and there's God's way. You can live life either way that you choose, but we know, if, as if you're a follower of Christ, we know that following God's way of life is the best way to live. But in that, we have to learn how do we then live our life according to God's plan that we have. Uh, and so we want to start God's way. And starting in God's way, as we saw in the video just a moment ago, starts at home plate. That's where we connect. We believe that all things begin with God, all things are going back to God, and that in this life that we live, God is in the process of, uh, of, of reclaiming, renewing, and redeeming all things, including people, to himself. And so at the start and stop of life, God is there, and God has a purpose and a plan, not just for what, where we will spend eternity, but for how we will spend this life to glorify him. And it's here at home plate where we choose whether we will live for him or not. God's way is that we would live dependent on him, connected to him. And as we move from home plate, we go to first base, right? That's, that's where we talked about last week, or Pastor Philip talked about last week, and, and this idea of character, that we need to, to not just connect with God at home plate, but it's really important that we stay connected with him all the way through first base because if we're not convec- con- uh, connected to him, then we can't win at life, right? Jesus said, remain uh, in, in the same way that you remain in the vine, remain connected to me. Apart from him, he says, we can do nothing. I've always thought about that. I was like, well, I'd do a lot of things without Jesus, <laughs> All right, we can do a lot of things, and we can do life our own way, but at the end of the day, it will have no meaning and no purpose, and it will not make a kingdom impact. And so we need to remember that we need to stay connected with Jesus, and that's how we talked about in character. Character is this mental or moral distinctive qualities of the individual, and when we connect with Jesus and stay connected with him, we decrease, as Paul says, and He increases we begin to be transformed and shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ so that we don't amplify the beauty of our broken selves, but we amplify the wholeness of Jesus Christ in a lost and broken world. Amen? And so today I get the privilege and honor to talk to you about second base. Second base is this idea of community, and it's it's really all about winning with others. Winning with others, not in spite of them. Have you ever been, and uh, I'm sure you have, maybe you haven't verbalized it outright, uh, but you, you've said, you know, life would be so much easier if, right, if they weren't there a part of it. Uh, maybe some of you, probably not, because y'all are good, holy, sanctified people, right, came into church this morning. Life would be so much easier if these people would go to the 9 o'clock service and I could have some freedom here, some elbow room, <laughs> right? We, we live our lives, and if you think about the worst moments of our lives, we, and, and we think in context, there are people there in those worst moments of our lives. We see their faces, we see their attitudes, we remember the hurts and the feelings, and, and we begin to live our lives in such a way that we begin to believe that life would be so much better if it just weren't for people. <laughs> and, and that applies to any area of our life, right? Your job, man, this job would be so much better if I just didn't have to deal with the people. Man, my commute in the morning would be so much better if I just didn't have to deal with people. And yes, I have to deal with people a couple times a year down at the beach. About this time of year, traffic starts ramping up on 70, heading over to Atlantic Beach. And it takes me longer in the morning, maybe two extra minutes to get there. And people are driving slow, taking in the scenery. It's pine trees, you know, not until you get over the bridge. But anyway, we we begin to live our lives in such a way that we think, man, life would just be so much easier if it weren't for people. And so today, I want to begin to help us understand that it's not uh, in spite of people, but we have been designed to live life with others and to win in that area. And in order to get right at second base, we have to continue to remember that we are connected with God at home plate. We make that connection and that we continue to stay connected with God and that we have this, this, this character of Christ. And so we were created, uh, we believe that we were created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 tells us this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. So we are created in the image of God, His image bearers, not that we would physically look like Him, but that we would reflect His glory and His relational being, Father, Son, and Spirit, all in one, working together in perfect unity as one, creating, bringing things into existence. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we see another creation narrative, another, another picture of creation. Uh, and it goes on and it says that God creates man. Uh, and I, I've always thought that this is funny, you know, because, because God says that it's not good for man to be alone. So I'll make a helpmate for him, right? But I always think, well, well man was not alone, was he? Right? It was him and God. But God makes a very profound statement. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And so sometimes in our our Christian walk, we can begin to believe, well, as long as it's just me and Jesus, I got my own thing going, we got this thing going on, and all I need is Jesus. Jesus, 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 that's all I need. And while our relationship with Jesus is important, we were not created to be just me and Jesus, me and God. We were created to be in relationship with God and relationship with other people. And so, life is really only good when people are a part of it. Think about the best moments of your life. In the same way you think about the worst moments of your life, my guess is that most of the best moments of your life have people in it. Whether it's the birth of a child, a Christmas morning, a beautiful Sunday celebrating the goodness of our God and King at church together, a a conversation about life, People are a part of our life in the good and the bad moments. And we have to learn and figure out how does God want us to relate to others. And so in relationships, if they're unavoidable reality of life, how do we win with them? Well, well Paul kind of begins to give us some clues and some hints into how we are to live our lives in relationship with others. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, Paul says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Because you are his year children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God. We were created in the image of God, but God's holy. God's perfect. He's, he, he is whole, and I can't be like him. And, and, but then Paul says, listen, yes, you can, because God has come and shown us the way to live. Therefore, all we need to do is to live our life life following the example of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that Jesus is the uh, visible image of the invisible God. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, Paul tells us that the fullness of God's character rested in him. And so we may not look specifically like God. We We have seen his fullness and his glory and his character in Jesus Christ. And therefore, if Jesus came and lived a life according to the, to the purposes and calling of God, we can too. If we want to win in relationships with others, we need to learn how to relate to others in the same way that Christ did. And that's why first base is so important. Because it's in first base where we begin to have our character and our, our lives begin to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ. But we can't just leave that there. We have to carry that image as the image bearers of God into those relationships with other people. These relationships that we live in, that the character is put to test in the everyday stuff of life. So here's kind of my my thoughts in terms of the life that Jesus lived and how do we live in relationships with others. If you just want to know just kind of one one phrase, uh, Jesus had an attitude of humility and a willingness to change. Jesus had an attitude of humility and a willingness to change. The first thing that we note that we can see in, in Jesus that, that demonstrates his, his attitude of humility and willingness to change is that he valued others more than he valued himself, and that's what we need to do. We need to learn how to value other people more than we do ourselves. In Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, Paul tells us this uh, about Jesus. He says, "Do not be selfish and try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in the interest of others." You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave it up, gave up all of his divine privileges, took on the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, Jesus saw people as people, not as problems. Oftentimes, we perceive people as problems. They're a problem that we we have to overcome. We have to just, if I can just get around them, if they can be avoided somehow, if they would just be removed from my life, then I can have the good life that God wants me to live. I mean, how in the world, God, do you expect me to live a holy life if this person's in my life? Jesus lived true to who he was. There was a lot of people who wanted Jesus to fit in a certain box. They wanted him to be the Messiah, which he was, but they wanted him to be this Messiah. Other people called him rabbi or good teacher, and they had different names and and all these different things that they called Jesus and thought that Jesus was. Well, some say that you're, you're Elijah. Some say that you're Moses. Some say that, you know, you're all of these different things. But Jesus didn't live by what other people defined him to be. He lived in full assurance of who God said he was. As he came up out of the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and said, This is my son whom I love. So Jesus could empty himself and live for other people because he wasn't working to earn other people's approval, earn their praise or anything else. He knew who he was as the son of God. And he knew who he lived for and his purpose in life. And so that enabled him to begin to seek the good of others as well. And that's where we need to re understand. That's why we have to go all the way back to Genesis and remember that we were created in the image of God to be in relationships with others. We were created not to avoid people and to overcome people, but to live a life that helps people live their life so that God would be glorified in all things. We tend to live, however, in a place of, of self betrayal where we begin to perceive ourselves, as Paul urges us not to perceive ourselves as better than others. We begin to look out for our own interest instead of the interest of others. And it's not that we do that intentionally, but, but it's something that we, that we begin to just fall and, and slip into in this cycle of self-betrayal. And self-betrayal is when we act contrary to what we feel we should do for someone else. Any other parents in here? Any parents? Raise your hands. All right, good. So you kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, even if you have been a long time since you've been a parent, you, you know what it is. Uh, in the first couple weeks after you come home, everybody's tired, everybody's exhausted. It's 3 a.m., and the baby starts crying again, right? Now, there's something that happens in this moment. Men, where are you at? Dads, raise your hands, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. In this moment, you get this sense or this feeling that you ought to get up and take care of the baby. <laughs> you know? The wife is taking care of it, and listen, my wife's here too, so I'm going to get an uh, earful as soon as I get in the car. So please don't hate me after this. But ladies do this too. Everybody does this. This is just an example that's relatable to me. So 3 a.m., baby starts crying. You get this sense that, man, I ought to get up. She's so tired. She's been a wonderful job, a new mom. She's taking care of all this, and she's with the baby all day long. She's, she's been getting up, and she got up in this last time, and so I ought to get up and help out. But the longer you sit there and the longer the baby cries, the more you begin to think about your day tomorrow, right? Now I've got a really, really important meeting tomorrow morning, and so I, I really need this extra sleep. And I, so, so what do we do? We just just kind of lay there and pretend. <laughs> Come on, guys, you know, you do it. You just pretend that you didn't hear anything. <laughs> so we begin to enter into the cycle of self-betrayal, and we, 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 we pretend as though we don't hear these things. And, and so from there, we, we fall into this cycle, We don't act on what we sense we ought to do, and we begin to see the world in ways that justify our lack of actions. My wife's sleeping next to me. The baby's crying. I'm over here. I know that I ought to, but I've got a really big day today. And so basically what we say to ourselves in these moments is that that my needs are more important than their needs. My job that I do over here is more important than the job that she does over here taking care of our family. And it happens in anything, whether it's on ba- a baseball team for our kids, right? Everybody kind of, my, my boys play baseball, and, 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 you know, everybody thinks that their position is the best position, and so the coach ought to spend more time with them showing them. Or, or I'm the biggest kid on the team, so I'm going to be the big hitter, so I need to be the one that, that, that steps up to the plate more often. I don't understand why I have to take turns, right? Just let me hit, coach. I'll be okay, and I'll carry everybody else on my coattails. I'm the most important. And so begin to think and see ourselves as the most important. And then our view of reality becomes distorted and we begin to perceive others uh, as less than ourselves and that our needs are greater than theirs. But rather than seeing people as obstacles to be overcome or problems or burdens, we need to see people like Jesus. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that they are people who are created in the image of God just like you and me who have needs and problems and burdens and worries and busy schedules and anything else just like us. And we need to remember that in the same way that Christ came and died for me, he came and died for them. You see, in life, it doesn't matter if you have a job way up here in in the corporate world at the topest building in New York City, or if you're a trash collector or a street sweeper or whatever else in between it might be. At the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, all people are the same. So Paul urges us later on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse uh, 21, he calls us then. He says, so because of all this stuff that I've just told you about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how he lived his life, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because at the end of the day, our, our role and our responsibility and our call in life is not to glorify the self and not to make sure that everybody sees me, but our role, especially here at Amplified Church, you know this, right? We exist to amplify the beauty of Jesus in a broken world. It's not just the mission of this, in this local church. It's the mission of every believer. Every person who was created by God, that is what they were created to do, is to amplify the beauty of God, to, be, to point people back to him and say, this is what God is like. And so we need to submit to one another. of reverence for Christ because in the same way that Christ submitted himself to the will of the father we submit to one another and say I love you by putting their needs above our own at best our world advocates for relationships that are that are based on 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 mutual benefit anybody ever ask you why you love so-and-so well why do you love so-and-so and what do we start to do we start to name all the things that they do for us I love my wife because she takes really, really good care of our kids and that she does this and she does that. I love my kids because of this and because of that. I love my job. I love my coworkers because they do this. But what happens in a system where we, where we enter into relationships and base them on mutual benefit, what happens when the scales of benefit are a little bit out of balance? When, when their benefit doesn't match the benefit that you provide them or they can't provide any benefit to you whatsoever? Well, they're no use to me anymore, I'll see you later. Call me when you can get your stuff together and then maybe we'll talk. But see, the Christian way, the way of Jesus is not to live our lives in mutual benefit, but to live our lives in mutual submission. It's not about what we can get from the other person, but it's it's how can I live my life in a way that helps them live their life better? How can I offer myself in service to them so that they can experience the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the everyday stuff of life? So the first thing we have, we have to do is we have to value others uh, more than we value ourselves. The second thing that we see in the life of Jesus is that he gives more than he takes. We saw that just a moment ago in Philippians, right? Jesus literally emptied himself of all of his divinity and became fully human. That means when he came to earth and was born as a human being, he had no divine powers He gave up all of those privileges, and then he lived his life in submission and dependence on God, just like we have to. So he lived in a life like that, and he says, I do nothing apart from what the Father tells me to do. I say nothing apart from what the Father tells me to say. Man, if you want to know how to fix your relationships, just live your life like Jesus in that way. Did Jesus tell you to say that to your wife? Nope, then keep it in your mouth, (laughs) right? (laughs) If you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say it at all. I remember my mom told me that more often than I probably care to, to admit. But there's a, there's, a, there's a story where Jesus is walking along. He's traveling down the road with his disciples. And, and, and John and James come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus. You know, they're looking around, and they're kind of whispering a little bit. Hey, Jesus, when, we know we're on our way to Jerusalem. And, and in their mind, when they get to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be the king. He's going to throw Rome out. He's going to kick everything over. He's going to make sure that everything's new. And they say, hey, when we get there, can we have the best places of honor? Can I sit at your right and on your left? We don't care, you know, we don't care between us who gets there as long as we get the best seat in the house. Jesus begins to tell him, he says, listen, guys, you don't understand what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, it's going to require you to suffer a whole lot in order to be able to to find a place of honor in the kingdom. But as much as they were trying to whisper and not have everybody else hear what they said, all the other ten disciples heard what they were saying, and they became Indignant. Hey, who do you guys think you are? We're just as important as you. You're not better than me. And they start fighting and arguing amongst themselves, kind of like kids. And, and so Jesus begins to speak to them in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. And this is what he says. Jesus called them together and says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. There's a way that people in this world live their life. The officials, they have flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus knew that he had to give more than he took. And Jesus, Jesus was not opposed to accepting help from other people. One guy said, hey, hey, I want, I want to come follow you, Jesus, but first, you know, I, 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 need to, I need to take care of some things. And Jesus says, listen, foxes ha- have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus wasn't opposed to receiving from things, but, but he always kind of, if you've ever been camping, right, you leave things better than the way that you found them. And that's what Jesus did. He's walking down the road one day, and Zacchaeus is up in the tree. calls Zacchaeus down, kind of invites himself over. How rude, right? But Zacchaeus becomes a gracious host to him and and takes care of him, meets his needs, and allows him to be a part of his his home for for a few moments. But as much as Jesus took in that moment, what does he do? He pronounces salvation. So much more than what he had been given in the moment. So we need to learn how to give more than we receive. And that's not just about finances. We come to church, and somebody says, give. Oh, they're trying to get my money again. No, we, we should give of our finances. God calls us to give 10% of our income and say, okay, well, we need to give more than receive. God's given me a lot in terms of salvation, so I'll bump up by tithe to 12%. Great. Keep doing that stuff. But it's not just about finances. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave more than he received, so much so that he gave himself. He stepped out of heaven, and he spent time with the people that he loved, you and me and the followers. And so we need to understand that relationships require time. And not just FaceTime, everybody sitting on the couch watching Netflix together, although there are moments for that, and it's fun to kind of laugh at the same thing and have some of those experiences, but we need to spend time with others. If you want to stay connected to Jesus, how do you stay connected with Jesus? You've got to spend time with him. You've got to get in his word and know what he's like and see how he interacts and lives his life and, and, and listen for his still small voice as God speaks to us as we study his word. If you want to have a really good marriage, what do you have to do? You got to spend time with your with your spouse. You want to have a good relationship with your kids. You got to spend quality time with them. The next thing we see in the life of Jesus is is that he forgives. Well, duh, right? But I think, especially for us, even those of us who are followers of Christ, we we have a hard time. This is probably one of the hardest things we have a hard uh, that we can do in terms of emulating Christ. Yeah, we're quick to tell someone, oh, don't worry about it, right? They lost the battery to your power drill. Any guys ever had that happen, right? But when they come knocking on your door and they ask to borrow your, your, your new drill that you got with the big, you know, 40-volt battery that's going to last all day long, hey, I really would love to let you hold it, but I've got something I've got to do with it here in a little bit. When you really don't, you just don't, you know, that like, I don't want them to lose my drill, you see, we're quick to tell other people that, that we oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But at, but at the same time, we keep track of the offense. We keep tab. But Jesus doesn't keep a tab. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we see Jesus hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. Oftentimes we perceive that, that people in the world know exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it in spite of us. And sometimes they do, but, but I, I think nine times out of ten, people are doing things because they just don't know any better. We look at the way the world is living and we say, man, they're doing these things and they're doing that thing over there and, and we get so upset and we get angry. God, we just want you to wipe them off the face of the earth and, and, and at the same time, we should not be surprised that they live their lives that way because they have not experienced the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They haven't had the same experience that we have in having being awoken to the brokenness in their own lives and rather keeping track of their offense and, and saying, you know what, they've done that to me and I'm going to keep tab and I'm going to keep them at arm's length. We should have the same heart as Jesus Christ who was broken and had compassion. We need to learn how to forgive and forget. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 8 through 12, the psalmist says this about God. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Paul tells us that Jesus is, is, is the exact representation of the invisible God. The fullness of God laid on him. So if, if in the Old Testament says that this is what God is like, then this is what Jesus is like. And then, like we said, this should be what we're like. So we should be full of compassion and full of mercy. We should be slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He goes on and says that he will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west been reading the story of joseph and if joseph had 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 if anybody had kind of a right to hold something against somebody it was joseph right i mean he was just a small scrawny ignorant little kid who didn't know any better to keep his mouth shut and tell his brothers hey i'm going to be your ruler one day right but his, his brothers wanted him to change. His brothers wanted to take care, take care of him. and wanted him to learn a lesson. They wanted to kill him, but they decided not to. And so they, they messed up his whole life. They, 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 they threw him down into a pit. He got sold into slavery. When he was in slavery, then we had Potiphar's wife who accused him of doing this. When he didn't do that, then he gets thrown into prison. And all this stuff, he has time and time again, he experiences tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. All because his brothers threw him in a pit. And so when they come knocking on the door for help, he should have said, hey, Good to see you guys. Remember me? You threw me in a pit one day. Well, now it's time for you to go in the pit. But he forgives them. He welcomes them in. He takes care of them. He meets their needs, invites them to come and stay with him and live with him. And his father comes. But after his father, after his father dies, guess what happens to the guilty parties? They're a little bit afraid. And so in Genesis, uh, in Genesis we see in, in uh, chapter 50, verse 21, uh, he comes to them and he says, Now, do not be afraid, because I will continue to take care of you and your children. And he reassured, reassured them by speaking kindly to them. People know their offense against us oftentimes. They know that they've wronged us. And in the way that we, we, can, we allow them to come back into our life or keep them at arm's length. And sometimes the way that we live their lives, they're, they're always kind of in limbo on whether or not, you know, it's like, are we, are we good? Are we good? I don't know. You know, fist bump. Yeah, we, we fist bump. But, but what what Joseph has done is embrace them into his life. And people that we probably would just as soon keep at bay, he says, no, come on in. It doesn't matter if daddy's here or not. I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to love you because I have forgiven and forgotten. Like in the words of Elsa and just like Jesus, let it go. Last thing I see in, in the life of Jesus is that we need to let God change people. We, we get into this, this habit or this, this, this desire to think that, that we have the answers and so we need to fix people. We, you know, we've got Jesus, they don't have Jesus, I've got the answers, they need the answers and so I need to fix them. Or in, in any other situation in life, but we feel like we need to fix people, we need to change people. But look at what Jesus does in John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. He comes to the Father. He's praying just before he goes to the the cross, and he says, Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while that I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth, just as you have sent me into the world. I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy. Jesus says, listen, I know that I came to seek and save the lost. There's, there's something that I came to do, but, Father, it's your responsibility to change them, to make them holy, to teach them when I'm not here, to make them become the people that you created them to be. I'm just an example. I'm here to live. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on us and to live as as an example of Jesus Christ in the everyday stuff of life. But it's not our responsibility to save people. It's not our responsibility to clean people up, although we do help in the discipleship process as we emulate Jesus. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is the one who changes people. See, rather than Jesus trying to change them and and, and bring them into submission underneath his, his powerful thumb, he takes these people that God has given to them and he places them back in the Father's hand. I've done what you've called me to do, God. At the end of the day, it's up to you whether they are changed or not. You see, changing people is God's responsibility and not ours. And I have found in my life, when I begin to recognize that that it's not up to me to change people, that, that that takes a whole lot of weight off my shoulders. I don't have to change my kids. All I have to do is love them like God calls me to love them and trust God to take care of the rest. See, when we try to change people, what we end up doing rather than changing them for the better, we end up throwing them in the pit like Joseph's brothers. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1-5, through 5, he says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye, when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We get that, we read that, we're real familiar with that passage, but I think the beauty of this passage is, is that once we begin to deal with the log in our own eye, we'll realize that the speck in our brother's eye is not because of them, but it's really because of us. We've lived our lives in such a way that it's caused splinters and specks off of our log to, to become shards in their own. And when we remove those things from our lives, we we'll begin to see, see others in the way that Jesus sees them. Love them in the way that Jesus loves them and forgive them the way that Jesus has forgiven us. The the basis of this series is off of a book called Home Run Life or Home Run, Learn God's Plan for Life and Leadership. And Kevin Meyer says this about second base, which is is scoring position. He says this, he says, if you care about people and are capable of developing healthy relationships with them, then you are in position to be successful when it comes to your family, to your community and to your career. So the question today I want to ask you is, how are your relationships? We have a lot of relationships. Some we didn't wish we had. Others we enjoy. We need to ask ourselves, how are our relationships? And before we think about all the other people in our life, we have to remember, how is our relationship with God? If I'm not connected with God, if I don't remain to the vine, if I don't remain with my lifeline connected to Jesus and bringing his life and power into my life so that I can live worthy of the calling he's placed on me, then I can't relate to people like Jesus. So first I wanna ask you, how's your relationship with God? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel in my life, I, I feel like, well, well, God, my relationship's not as great as it should be. You should be doing more. You should be powerful. You, I should be experiencing all these different things. And then he just says, hey, when's the last time you spent time with me? How are your relationships at home with your wife, your husband, your kids, your moms, your dads? Sure, everybody's got their own quirks and all these things, but you can't change them, but you can change yourself in terms of relying on Jesus. Are you valuing people more than you value yourself? Are you giving more than you take? Are you forgiving as much as you have been forgiven? And have you been putting their lives and their transformations in the hand of God who can, so that all you have to do is focus on loving them like Jesus? Today, as we sing, would you take some time to think about the relationships of your life and ask God where he wants you to go in those relationships so that he might be glorified in all things.